This is God's Word. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's Word. It's entirely true and it's, it's given to us in love. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank You that uh, You remind us of, of truly what uh, you are, you've called us to as, as your children. Um, that I pray that we would be able to, to, to clear away um, maybe ideas and um, just things that we've been taught even as, as children of how to look at the Bible um, that, has, that has caused a lot of confusion, um, that has muddied the waters uh, when we approach these texts that we think we're so familiar with and um, and, and instead, we've been using these for, for many, many years, some of us, as uh, a means in which to, uh, to, to gain favor, uh, to be seen by others. So God, help us to have fresh eyes. Help us to have ears to hear what it is that Jesus has to teach us um, from these words again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, one of the things you may have noticed in the text uh, when it was read is the amount of times that Jesus refers to His Father. Forty-four times in Matthew's Gospel, God is referred to as Father. Only, only in the Gospel of John is, is, is there more times that, that, that God is referred to as Father. And, and 16 of those times are woven into the Sermon on the Mount. So the, the, the divine fatherhood meant much to Matthew. And it's something that he wanted his readers to, to see. He wanted them to hear that. And, and, that, and those readers are, are, include us. He wants us to understand that God is Father. Because if we miss this, if we miss this, it turns the Sermon on the Mount, like I said last week, into a legalistic nightmare. Something that you will never attain. You will always be frustrated. You will always be tired because you will never be able to hit the mark. But when we see it as Jesus is telling us how to live in relationship to the Father, it paints a much different picture than legalism or rule following. 
So to use a poor example, and I only call it a poor example because I know that some of you don't have great relationships with your father. You may not even have a father in your life, but it's, it's an example nonetheless. Because a true father who truly loves his children is not going to make them jump through hoops. He, he's, not, he's not going to give them a, a list of rules to get right. He's not going to not love them because they make mistakes. He's not going to make them do all this so that they would be loved by Him. That's why we read from 1 John this morning that God is not moved by our love for Him, but He moves because of His love for the Son. And He comes after us because of that. So look at me when I tell you this. Because I think some of you need to hear this today. Because this is what Jesus is saying in our text. He's not just saying, give. He's not just saying, pray. He's not just saying, fast. He's not just saying those things. those, Those things are there. But this is what Jesus is saying to you. The Father loves you. The the Father in heaven loves you. That's what He wants you to understand. The Father loves you. The Father wants a relationship with you. He's in pursuit of you. This This isn't Jesus saying, do these things... so that the Father will love you. Or do these things and then the Father will love you. He is saying, do this because the Father already loves you. And He shows us this in three ways in our text today. And those are in your worship guide if you're taking notes. He does this through showing us the warning that's here. And then He shows us the posture in which we must take as followers of, of, of Jesus. And then he shows us what the reward is for doing that. So the warning, the posture, and the reward. And Jesus is the perfect person to be showing us this because Jesus lives in a perfect relationship with his heavenly Father. And Jesus is not one that is jumping through hoops. Jesus is not one who is, who is uh, just a rule follower. He is one who walks in obedience because he already knows that he is deeply loved by the Father. That's why Jesus can go to the cross. Because he knows he's loved by the Father. And so we'll see very clearly that, that, that being loved by the Father has little to do with outward appearances. But what takes place in your heart. So first is the warning. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Jesus gives the overarching warning for the text as a whole. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You can see where I got my outline from. But you can also uh, begin to see or begin to ask the question, if you've been paying attention the past few weeks, uh, didn't Jesus say in chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that others may see your good works? 
And it sounds as though Jesus is now contradicting himself. It sounds as though Jesus is saying, hey, look, I said that before, but this is what I really meant. And that begins to get really confusing for us. Why would Jesus say in the same sermon, so we're, we're looking at this sermon uh, over a course of seven weeks, and we're breaking it up into little bits and pieces so that we can better understand it. Jesus is saying this essentially all in one breath. He's standing before these people and he's teaching. So he's already said, uh, let your light shine before others so that others may see your righteousness. And now he's saying, uh, don't let your, light, uh, your righteousness be seen by other people. Keep it quiet. Keep it secret. Why would he do that? Well, just a, a Bible study side note. Anytime you come across something like this in your Bible, as you're reading through it, don't freak out. Don't let that be your first reaction is to freak out and to begin to, to not trust the Scriptures. Typically, the, the, the easiest solution in step one to this, to figuring it all out, is to zoom out of what you're reading and look at the broader context. You may have heard this before, but context is king when you're reading the Bible. So zoom out, look at the broader context in which the supposed contradiction lies, and then here in the text is a great example of that. So we can zoom out and look at where, where does this contradiction lie. It's Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the one who does not lie, the one who does not contradict himself. We already have that in our mind, and he seems like he's contradicting himself here. The Scottish theologian A.B. Bruce uh, commenting on this, this very thing helps us out with our seemingly contradictory dilemma that we have here. And this is a good application point as well. This is what he says. He says, Show your good works when tempted to hide your good works. Show your good works when tempted to hide your good works and hide your good works when you're tempted to show them. To show when tempted to hide, and hide when tempted to show. And I think that brings those two truths together quite well. Because what, what he's saying here is that we're tempted, we're tempted on both extremes. We're tempted to either be cowards and to not let our light shine before others, or we're tempted to be prideful and wanting our light to shine before others because we want recognition. We want people to look at us. So in just dealing with chapter 6, verse 1 again, we are reminded by Jesus that, that the tug to be seen, the temptation to be seen, will always be lying at your heart. It's always there. You will want recognition. You, you will want people to think well of you. Because what's at stake is not that your righteousness will be seen, because your righteousness will be seen. If you're living faithfully as a believer in Christ, wherever you are, your righteousness will be seen by others, even if they can't put a name to it. But what's going on in your heart is what is most important as you practice righteousness. Why do you want your righteousness seen? Why do you want your good works to be seen? The New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington, he wrote this. He says, uh, that I think is really helpful. He says, Jesus is not condemning here the public practice of righteous behavior. Rather, he is warning against a righteous behavior 
that has a wrong heart. The praise of others rather than the praise of God. So again, why do you want your righteousness to be seen by others? Is it so that, that, that they can give glory to your Father who is in heaven? Is that why? Or, or is it so they can give glory to you? What is your heart's desire in this? And this is important because we don't, we don't concentrate enough on the hearts. Because the heart is, is, for most of us, is hidden. I don't know what uh, any of you are currently feeling right now. I don't know what any of you are currently kind of wrestling with on, on the inside. You, you cover up pretty well. You don't know what I'm wrestling with on the inside currently. All you can see is, is what you see up here before you. So most of what we do in life is external lived on the outside. We can paint a beautiful picture of our life even though it's in shambles uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Or we can say the, 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 the trite uh, when you're asked, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. When really you are in a mess. So most of what we do is external. We don't typically think about why we got angry at our child this morning. We don't think about why we get frustrated with uh, that person. We don't think about why we get anxious just out of nowhere, it seems. We don't think about why we want people to see or hear about what we do. And yet the Bible says very clearly over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says all of this, anxiety, anger, frustrations, uh, the desire to be seen arises from your heart. Your heart is the, is the central aspect of who you are and it steers the way that you live your life. Just listen to the way the Bible talks about your heart. I'm just going to read some, um, some verses here. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance when he's looking for a king for Israel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then it, Jesus in Matthew 27, addressing the Pharisees, 27, 34 you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So ultimately, the disciple's heart, the disciple's heart isn't supposed to reflect the disciple. Our hearts are desperately wicked. So some days, uh, our hearts are not going to ref reflect the gospel. It's going to happen. So our hearts aren't 
supposed to reflect the disciple, but the one whom the disciple follows, namely God the Father. And this is true in just how Jesus lays this before us in this trio of obligations that he, that he lays out. It's why it's, it's we see why he warns us after we get through reading these things. In verse 2, Jesus says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And then in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And in verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what we're dealing with here, what Jesus is dealing with here in, this, in these examples, is one person... He's dealing with one person that he calls the hypocrite. Over and over again. In classical Greek, the, the, the word hypocrite was not used like we use it today to refer to like a religious hypocrite. We like to use that word when, when someone doesn't live up to the way that you want them to live up. So they call him a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite for not living out what you believe. It wasn't used like that. In, in, in uh, first century culture, it was used to refer to someone uh, who spoke publicly. It was somebody who was, who, who, was, who was looked at as a hypocrite, and it was actually a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. Or when they referred to someone who was an actor on the stage, someone who, who wore a mask, someone who played another person other than themselves. They're a hypocrite. So figurative, figuratively, the word came to be applied to anybody who treats the world as a stage on which she plays a part. Just a few observations of the hypocrite here. Because it's easy to say, it's easy to kind of stand back and go, well, of course I'm not a hypocrite. I, I, I do exactly, I live exactly uh, what I believe and I don't do anything that's fake. I don't wear a mask. And if you're in that boat, you're, you're lying to yourself. Because we all are hypocrites at some point in our life and in our Christian walk. The very first observation, the, the expectation of the act. So Jesus walks through these, these three obligations when he says, when you give, almsgiving, or in our day and age, almsgiving can be translated in our day and age as social justice. It's the same thing. That's what Jesus was getting at here. So when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, Common practices amongst Jews during this day. Whether you were a believer in God or not, you gave, you prayed, and you fasted. Pretty common. A lot of religions uh, still have these three tenets that they practice. Islam is a great example of this. They, they give, they pray, and they fast. So the expectation here is not unusual to the everyday person. Lots of people do this whether they believe or not. So heed the reality that behind our piety, behind our desire to be close to God, pride always lurks. The desire to be seen, the desire to be acknowledged always lurks. 
The second observation is the actions of the act. So the actions of the act of the hypocrite is to draw attention to themselves. Jesus says they, they blow the trumpet before them as they, as they go into the synagogue to give their great offering to the poor. And they blow the trumpet so that everybody's eyes would be on them as they drop the money into the offering box. One way that we blow our trumpet as modern day people is a little thing called Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever else is out there currently. And we blow our trumpet in our stories and say, look at what I have done. Look at what organization I represent. Look at whom I support. And the third observation is the reward of the act. Jesus says their reward is that they are praised and seen by others. Period. That's it. So herein the warning is simple. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't perform actions that benefit only the performer. Receiving a reward that has no value apart from its initial transaction. The fleeting applause of your peers. Which is just a sad and empty reward that can only be attained again and again with more self-congratulatory acts. It's the only way you're getting that reward back. So the warning here is that you, if you're not careful, will end up living your days even doing things that are seemingly good. Fasting and praying and giving. You will end up living your days in a shallow state. A shallow state where your reward is that cheap pat on the back or that passing click on your Instagram profile. And so this warning that Jesus gives us here at the outset is meant to fashion us for something more. It's meant to fashion us for something deeper, something good, something true, something beautiful, something that's lasting. And it's a posture that only a heart that is tuned to the gospel will have. Because all three of these practices mentioned, like I said, are not unfamiliar to his listeners. I'm sure some of them, as Jesus mentioned them, were sitting there getting lost in the shuffle of it, uh, just like we probably were saying, oh, I do that. I give my alms. I, I practice social justice. I, I, uh, I pray. I study my Bible. I, I, uh, I fast even sometimes. And so with the, ex- the exception of prayer... Jesus doesn't delve deeply into any of these practices, which should just signal to us that this is not Jesus' point. His point is not to give you uh, new spiritual disciplines in which to draw closer to God, uh, because they're already expected. That's why he says, when you do these things, not if you do these things. Jesus is addressing how we engage in them. What posture do you take on when practicing uh, giving or prayer and fasting? Uh, Is it to be seen by others or is it to bring glory to your Father in heaven? So listen to how Jesus describes the posture his disciples are to have 
Because in each of these disciplines, Jesus offers two heart postures that we could take on. One way we've already seen it. We can take it on publicly to be seen. And the other is privately, or as Jesus says over and over again, in secret. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then verses 17 through 18, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So the main point here is not uh, Jesus telling us to practice these disciplines wearing a ski mask. He's not saying you need to, to sneak to the offering basket outside so that nobody will see you giving money. He's not saying that. He's not telling you to, to never have corporate prayer because if that were the case, then we are all in sin because we've already done that several times this morning. He's not telling you to avoid uh, praying in front of your friends or your family members. You know, the difference lies in how we go about these things. What is your motivation? Again, what is going on in your heart as you engage in these things? As you practice uh, social justice, when you pray, when you fast, when you practice any of the spiritual disciplines, and there's lots of them, is it to be seen by others? Or is it to bring glory to your heavenly Father? Well, obviously the latter is the posture followers of Jesus need to have. It's where Jesus is, is trying to get his listeners to. He's trying to move them closer uh, to that, uh, that, re- that deep relationship with their heavenly fathers, Father. Otherwise, we end up living these shallow, empty, restless lives that lead us further and further away from the Father rather than closer to Him. So a litmus test for for whether or not you are doing this for yourself primarily or doing this to bring glory to your Father in Heaven is in the reward that you receive. Or better yet, the reward that you desire. What do you desire? And that is probably your reward. Do you feel yourself craving the publicity? The spotlight? Do you have a feeling of a sense of accomplishment when you uh, show up here to a Sunday morning gathering each week and people are able to see you and say, wow, look look how committed they are. Look how pious they are. Do you uh, get some sort of uh, satisfaction because you can check off the box in your Bible reading program for the day? And you've accomplished something. Do the endorphins of Instagram likes and comments drive your desire to be seen by others? If so, that is your reward. The beginning and the end of it. Congratulations. But the other reward, the other reward that Jesus speaks of lies with the Father. Now this idea of rewards is is tricky. 
Because I know some of us, uh, our, mind, our mind immediately races, races to uh, rewards that we've received for uh, good behavior. You know, when you were in school, you would get a star next to your name uh, if you were good. Or even good grades in school, so you're awarded with that. Um, different restaurants like to give out free things if you bring in your uh, report card. I never got free stuff like that, ever. I always got the reward for perfect attendance, never for grades. Um, so, or, or you receive rewards uh, in sports. You get a trophy. You get acknowledged in the newspaper, maybe, if you're really good. Or maybe even now you get rewards for achieving certain milestones at your job. You get promoted. You get a raise. Maybe you even get a trophy. And so we, we begin to, to, to equate this with the rewards mentioned here, and we think, oh, oh, I, well, I, well, all I have to do is, is earn the Father's approval, and then I'll be rewarded. I have to do good things, and then I will catch the Father's eye, and then He'll reward me. C.S. Lewis gives us a better angle to look at rewards in his essay uh, titled The Weight of Glory, where he argues uh, against this idea uh, that the promise of reward for the Christian somehow makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. That, uh, meaning that the reason we do is only to get. So we do these things in order to get this other thing from the Father. So you can begin to see how that can be really uh, unclear about what, what we're doing. Is, is it, is it because, are we doing because we, we want to bring glory to the Father, or are we doing just to get good things from the Father? That to practice these things is, is only to get a reward, a means to an end. So the reason I, I show up, uh, showed up at school every day, uh, I could say, is, was so that I could get that certificate that I would eventually just throw away. Not because I wanted to benefit from being at school every day. This is what Lewis writes. He says, The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Let me read that again. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. For example, marriage is the proper reward for the real lover. Money is not the proper reward for marriage. And someone who marries for money would be considered what C.S. Lewis called a mercenary, or we would call them a gold digger. Their means is the end. Or a scholarship to a university is the proper reward for a student who works hard. A cheap trophy at the end of the year is not a proper reward. So you, be, you begin to see that, that the life that is lived uh, to the glory of your Father is also the reward that you are receiving at the exact same time. That you are living within the glory of the Father and in relationship with Him. That is your reward. So in this same essay, C.S. Lewis writes this. You may have heard this before, but he says this. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So the question you must ask yourself in closing is this. Are you more satisfied with what appears to be joy, social media attention, the applause of your peers, making mud pies in a slum, Or are you satisfied with having God as your only witness? As you practice these these things, these disciplines that Jesus lays before you, are you satisfied doing these things simply uh, for the enjoyment of being with your Heavenly Father and having it be in secret and having nobody ever know? Are you satisfied with just that? That's the question you need to ask. Because if you are the latter, if you can say, I know imperfectly that I am satisfied with God as my only witness, Lewis calls this the infinite joy. And it's not just the joy that you're going to get in heaven one day, and so you're just kind of waiting for the day that you, that you die and you go to heaven, and there is your reward. Lewis is saying that joy is now. That reward is Now, it's infinite. And it's offered to you by a loving Heavenly Father. Amen. Let me pray for us.